The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. What do we need to worry about this year? Mario Greco, the CEO of Zurich Insurance, tells us in this Breaking Views Predictions discussion. Tune in. This Breaking Views podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv, a London stock exchange group business. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Rob Cox, the global editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. Well, Mario Greco is paid to worry. Day in, day out, the chief executive of Zurich Insurance has to peer around corners for impending risks, not just ones that may appear in the coming year, but maybe over the next five, 10, and beyond. That's why I was pumped to have Mario appear in the first Breaking News Predictions event of 2022, not least because Zurich was involved in the creation of the World Economic Forum's Global Risk Report, which was released just this week. Topping the list for long-term risks is the failure to tackle climate change. Dealing with the impact of a warming planet is a key component of Zurich's strategy, as Mario points out in our discussion, and it's also something he says he feels quite passionately about. But it's not the only worry. From social cohesion to geopolitics and cybersecurity, Zurich has a whole lot on its plate. So give a listen to find out what's on Mario Greco's mind. Welcome out there to everybody for, to the first in our 2022 series of events to celebrate the launch of our annual predictions book. This year, it's called A Year in Transition. Other events will come in the, later this month, including the president of Xpeng, the Chinese EV maker, later tonight, James Gorman, the CEO of Morgan Stanley, Andre Orchel, the CEO of Unicredit, the European Union Competition Commissioner, Margreta Vestager, and Mary Daly, the CEO of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, but first, uh, I wish to, to say Happy New Year to you, Mario. It's great to see you. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you to all of you for inviting me. And a Happy New Year to all of you. It's too bad we're not doing this in person. We're both in the same city of Zurich. But let's get right into it. Uh, first of all, I mean, one thing I wanted to point out, I noticed today that Zurich's share price just this week uh, reached 430 Swiss francs, the level at which it traded before the pandemic. Uh, it took a while to get there. A lot of other industries uh, saw their stock prices appreciate and get back above that well before the insurance industry. How do you explain what's going on? Has, has, the, has the market kind of understood all of a sudden that insurance is actually a safe business and, and a growing business? How do you explain it? No, definitely insurance is not a safe business. Uh, it's a very risky business. This is what we do for for living. You know, when the pandemic started, uh, for us, it was quite interesting because it was two months after we presented our three-year plan finishing at the end of 2022. February 2020, the pandemic started and our plans and our programs uh, were just to, um, to go in the shredder. Um, so we rebuilt completely our actions. We've been very agile. Uh, we took a totally different path than the one we have been strategizing for more than a year. And happily, uh, at the end of 21, um, you know, the things started coming together and we will report on our full year results in 10 days, roughly. And, uh, you know, we're very pleased with uh, the achievements so far. We feel we are fully in the race to deliver to our shareholders all our targets for 2022. And actually we feel that uh, as we did before, we can even exceed these targets. Uh, but if I go back to how this started in January, February 2020, I almost cannot believe that. Um, we have taken lots of risks and we've managed them. We have learned how to reduce the impact on, on our PNL um, and uh, we're prepared for 
new risks uh, coming to us in the next months. Yeah, well, let's talk about those risks. I mean, one of the reasons I, I always like talking to you, Mario, is you, you are sitting there looking around, peering around corners for what can go wrong in the world. Yeah. Um, and so it's worth, it's worth get, spending some time with you. And, and I noticed actually just this week, we saw the uh, World Economic Forum's Global Risk Report was released and, and Zurich and you guys were, were critical and uh, key, key partners in that. Uh, topping the list, at least over the next sort of five to 10 years, seem to be this question about the failure to tackle climate change. Um, yeah. Let's go through those risks, but let's start with this one. I mean, how worried are you and what is it, you know, not just for your children or grandchildren, but for, for your business about this uh, fundamental risk? Um, it is It is definitely the most important risk. I mean, um, the attention of everyone is focused on the pandemic. We believe that the pandemic will be sorted out or is, it is going to be sorted out. The transformation of our industrial sector of our economy into a sustainable one is an incredibly complex task that we have to accomplish. And the failure to do it will create a significant distress. Uh, am I worried? I'm never worried. I mean, my job is about managing uh, the situation, providing solution alternatives and uh, um, finding a way to stabilize um, you know, the results uh, to a positive outcome. And I still believe that uh, we'll be able to do that. Um, but action is needed now. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in Glasgow, Scotland, and for the COP26. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I I'm, came to this relatively late, you know, as a sort of a, seeing it as, as, as such an extraordinary, um, import, extraordinarily important business and strategic question. I guess what, one of the things, though, that, that, that I came away from from that, and I sort of wonder about now is what you mentioned the, the COVID-19 epidemic, or has that actually made it harder for the world and businesses and governments to focus on reducing carbon emissions, which is of course critical to solving this fundamental question of climate change? I don't know that, I'm not sure it did. Uh, the problem with uh, the industrial transformation which is needed is, is that it's a multi-year program. Now. Um, I've been leading Zurich now for six years, and hopefully I will have many more years of time to do that. Uh, now, governments usually don't last very long. You know, if we want to make it sustainable, we need to have a perspective of at least the next 10 years, at least, if not longer. And that is, and that is the problem with uh, politics and with governments about it, that they have a very short-term view. They focus on the next election. Um, and pandemic is perfect because pandemic is short-term emergency, which governments can, can easily tackle. Um, the transformation is probably the biggest effort for this world uh, after the industrial transformation uh, uh, two centuries ago. Are we passing the test around the world in terms of we, we've got a short-term problem like a pandemic, which we should know how to deal yeah. with. And yeah. yet we still seem to be faltering in different places around the world. What does that teach us about the what, what is required to deal with this much more existential and longer burn, no pun yeah. intended, question? I think, I think there are lessons learned from the pandemic. The first one is that uh, the solution is not in the hands of everyone uh, else. The solution is um, all of us have to contribute as we did for the pandemic. Uh, you know, the care with um, all of us put into avoiding COVID 
uh, will be needed also for the transformation actions of everybody. I mean, we have been saying this in, inside Zurich since five years ago that every single action matters, no action results, but every single action matters. And so we have been uh, mobilizing people to do the right things individually, one by one in their families. And that's the lesson of, of the pandemic. The second thing is coordination. Um, the pandemic has been fought with a decent, a reasonable coordination between uh, uh, macro regions, between states, and this would be needed also for the transformation. And the third important thing, um, which at least I learned from the pandemic is you need data. All these transformation have to be fact-based, data-based. We need data. We need to use the science and the scientific knowledge to, um, you know, just draw um, the future of, uh, of our world. And without the data, everything, frankly, is useless. Let's talk just, you mentioned sort of individual actions. Let's think about what you guys have done at, at Zurich. I mean, when it comes to things like uh, redu- well, reducing your carbon footprint. Now, if I remember, you did some, you, you were quite aggressive with travel, for instance. Yeah. I think that was part of it. Maybe you could explain that a little bit, but also maybe tell us more about what you're doing specifically with your portfolio, because that's where you have the most leverage. Yeah. So um, we, did, we did two different things. So first of all, we did not want to uh, just talk to our customers or to the world. We started from our sense. So what we did is we committed to reduce travel to 30% of what it was in 19 starting from this year, I mean, of course, it's easy to reduce during the pandemic, right? You just have no other choice than that. Now, assuming that this year will be a more normal one, we said for this year, our budget constraint will be less than 30% of what it was in 19. The second thing we did is we took some commitments on things which are important, for example, like printing. We committed to reduce the printing in steps um, acting initially with internal printing, which of course consumes trees around the world, and then acting also f- with the printing to the customers up to 25. Third thing is that uh, we took commitments on uh, food and waste management. Uh, we're only using local foods, so we're not shipping foods around our offices and canteens, and we don't buy in each country food from other destinations in order to save some carbon. And uh, we're committed to reuse all food and waters uh, that we have in our premises, in our offices. And of course, we encourage also our colleagues to do the same at home. Um, Then, I mean, the the things that everybody did, we took some commitments on our fleets, on our mobility patterns. This is by 2025, uh, we will be completely electric and uh, all Zurich uh, um, employees and related people will be on electric uh, and not uh, 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 petrol uh, uh, f- um, heavy fuel um, cars. Um, and the final thing, we, uh, we also took some commitments on our buildings um, to make our buildings uh, very sustainable by 25. Uh, we listed uh, a number of buildings uh, that uh, will be to the highest standards of sustainability as is our um, head office in Switzerland, which I believe is still the uh, highest environmental standard for Europe. This is what we did on ourselves, so just to clear that we're not just talking to others. Then with the customers, we have done a number of things. So we created uh, the first uh, um, 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 
net zero investment uh, unit link product that exists uh, in the life market uh, for the customers. We have made commitments on investment management, so on investing on our assets uh, and reducing the carbon uh, footprint of our assets. And then on underwriting, we have progressively uh, reduced our exposure to fossil fuels. Uh, We eliminated uh, completely some industries, um, and then we're continuing with other kind of industries. I have to say, however, that not underwriting customers uh, is something that I feel we have to do, but it's not a great solution because typically these customers find other insurers somewhere. What we really want to do is to really transform uh, the energy. So it is, it is a little bit uh, um, simple, the solution of somebody who says, I'm not going to work with you because you're a polluter, but I'll let you work with somebody else. Um, what we are trying hard is to really make the customers uh, uh, changing. So we created the unit, which is uh, helping customers working on sustainability targets and uh, creating these targets uh, in their industries. And uh, we saw a lot of traction over the past two years with the customers uh, using the services of this unit and being helped by us in becoming more sustainable. Sorry, it took very long, but I'm very passionate about it. uh, And apologies for taking time. No, 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 that's fine. It's the most important topic of the day, clearly. I mean, of of this generation, if you will. But are there certain businesses that you're insuring today that you don't think you'll be insuring in five to 10 years? I mean, the easy one is uh, there will not be insurance, uh, I would say, in the next five to 10 years for fossil fuels. All fossil fuels are, you know, have a destiny. We still need to understand how we're going to make this world progressing without fossil fuels, but we got to do that. Fossil fuels is also employing some 10 million people. Now, renewable uh, will employ many more than that. So it's not, it's not, um, it's not a job threat, but it's a, um, you know, people will need to be reconverted. People will need to learn a new job. And the sooner we'll do that, the better, because if we wait until late, then the transition would be dramatic. Yeah, it's funny you say it's it. That is that's the the difficult thing. We can see five to ten. You can see how you yeah. how you go from A to B, but it's that in between, right? It's like what happens. And you mentioned that there are ten million people working in in fossil fuels. You don't. I guess when I think about ESG, and one of our um, predictions written by yours truly was that the ESG moniker, this idea should be blown up. It should just be three. We've lumped them all together, but it's quite interesting. If you said I could be hit my E by stopping uh, tomorrow and lending yeah. or, or underwriting uh, to the, insur- uh, the, the the fossil fuel business, but then you've just knocked 10 million people. So your S score does poorly. How do you look at ESG in, in this whole, I mean, do you think we're, do you agree with us that this is a ripe for a breakup? I do. I think it's very difficult in this whole area of transformation of the world to be simple and to be drawn by you know, simple statements. Uh, it's a very complex issue because eventually it affects also consumers' behaviors. We will have to live in a different way. We cannot pretend not using any more diesel cars to travel 1,000 kilometers by car. We will have maybe to accept to travel less. You know, I've been a strong advocate of a carbon cost in every good and service. I still think that this is the best solution of all, because if we have to pay for the pollution that we generate, we will 
understand how we need to adapt also in our consumptions and in our behaviors. And today we're not, you know, seeing that in the prices. So it's a very complex transformation where labor has a part of it, where consumption is a part of it. At the end of the day, also social stability has a part into it. That's, I, let's talk about social stability. I mean, I think that's a really, if I look at the uh, risk report that came out, I think, I think climate and then, and then sort of climate-related, weather-related events, to me, those are, that one follows the other. But, but I think the other was the social cohesion erosion or the erosion of social cohesion seemed to be on people's minds as, as, as one of the top risks that we face. Can you elaborate on that? How do you see it? It is, it is a huge risk uh, because we're living in a very divided society. Over the past years, we have exacerbated uh, the income discrepancies. The wealth is controlled by few people, as we know, and uh, the, the distance between the rich and the poor um, has uh, widened more, more than ever before. On top of that, there are social tensions by gender, by race, by religion, and there is a geopolitical conflict, which is also creating further tensions. Now, the climate transformation, the uh, sustainability transformation, acts on this basis, which is already very scary by itself, and creates further tensions. Um, And uh, the risk is that uh, all this would coalesce together, and will create a um, burning platform somewhere in the world, and that will extend to other places. And this is why, you know, we want to talk, we want to anticipate, we want to manage, and we want to take actions as early as possible. From an insurance business, I'm just trying to think, I understand how climate or weather or uh, cybersecurity or some of these things are are quantifiable or can be quantified. What about social cohesion? How do you how do you price for that? Well, you, you cannot, uh, it, but, but the, most, the most difficult thing today for us is how to consider in our decisions for today and for the next years, the transformation that needs to happen in the world. And the speed of this transformation is also unknown today because it is, it, it is often you know, managed by politicians, regulators, by external forces. So you cannot really guess it. You just have to to follow that. So we can kind of manage the physical risk. That's our job. We might be uh, missing sometimes understanding it, but then we recuperate it. uh, We study new data, and uh, and you know we feel that uh, this is this is the business as usual managing the physical risks, but the transformational risk, the social risk, the geopolitical risks. They're very difficult to be managed by an insurance company. And you just need to adapt quickly. You need yeah. to react. You need to um, help and support wh- wherever needed. But you can't really anticipate that. I won't go through all of the risks that were outlined in that report. But one of them that, uh, what, that didn't seem to be there was the risk of a financial crisis. And I look at, um, I mean, I think there was debt crisis might have been somewhere in the top 10. But I look out at the asset price inflation that we've seen over the past uh, couple of years. Um, you know, you and I could take a, a photo right now and sell it as an NFT uh, for some, re- okay, maybe we wouldn't make as much money as Banksy's <laughs> NFT, but the idea that you can financialize everything and that there are these extraordinary prices that are almost impossible to explain. Are you concerned about asset price inflation and, and, and the impact that, that a disruption of that could have on 
society, business, and insurance? Of course we are. And it's as part of the transformation, some of this um, asset price inflation will become very visible because some assets will kind of disappear over the next years because simply the, the, their business reason will disappear. Now, can I, can I just step on the side for a second, Rob? Because we're talking about risk and now it's the beginning of the year and I don't want uh, you know, the people to be you know, taken by dramatic uh, moods uh, so early in the year. Now, as I said, that's our job to manage risks. And also this year for us is the 150 birthday anniversary of Zurich. So we have survived 150 years and we look forward to surviving to the next 150. And uh, if you think back, what happened over the past 150 years, uh, we have confronted ourselves with every kind of challenge and risk, and we managed to find a solution. Humanity is good at doing that. I mean, we, we humans are very adaptive and reactive, and we find solutions. But it's not going to be easy because this is a point of change in the world, and it's a point of change for each one of us, and we will all be affected by this. I wanted that when we talked uh, sometime near the end of last year, um, I think you said something along the lines of there's no going back to the relatively easy years of four years ago. And I, I thought that was interesting. And, and as I said, our book this year is a world in transition and transition being not change or, or not, sorry, not like reversion to mean or going back. It's actually a change. You're going from one state of being to another. And, and so you know, these fundamental shifts are, are, are pretty fascinating. We talked about the energy transition and some others, you know, some of the, uh, let, let's talk about some others. Uh, digital, uh, yeah. the, you know, we have just accordion, just absolutely accelerated the shift to all things digital. We're all doing these things from, you know, we would normally be sitting in some auditorium, maybe at the Zurich headquarters or Reuters headquarters doing yeah. this, but instead we're all doing it from there. How has that shifted the in, in insurance business, which I, I often consider an agent business and a sort of you trusted agent helps you. I mean, how have you, how is, how is the digitalization trend sh it's, shaped, it's a, shaped what you're doing? It's a fantastic trend for us because it allows us to establish a direct connection with the customers. Also, it allows us uh, through the connectivity that digital creates to enter into devices, to follow the customers when they travel, to follow customers uh, when they are at home and give them services. So it brings us the uh, connectivity with the customers that we've been missing for centuries. In the previous 150 years of story um, that Zurich had, we missed that and now we have it. So it's a fantastic opportunity to develop insurance as services to the customers, uh, understanding what the customers want, who, who they are, um, where they are and what uh, we can deliver to them. What about the workplace? Let's talk about that. I mean, you're, you're at, probably at home, and so many of us are. Um, I have a hard time imagining going back to a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday work, having our team do it. I, I just, it's hard to imagine that. How does that change the way you, I don't know, the way you, can, you think about your business? That for us, honestly, we don't see this as, as a new thing. I mean, when we plan for our um American head office or um, Zurich Swiss head office, we plan for uh, 60, 70% of occupation in every single day. So we already had the so vision- So even before, that, the, even before yeah, the pandemic, okay. Even before the pandemic, we had the vision that 30% of people will constantly be at home traveling somewhere else. 
and you don't need to find uh, um, a, a, a space in office for them. Um, I think pandemic accelerated that. Um, and again, I don't think there is any way back. I mean, um, for me, work has always been, you know, my connectivity, my iPad, I've been traveling, moving around and, uh, uh, you know, I, I work from everywhere with my tools um, and uh, I respected my commitments to the customers, to shareholders, to the board, uh, wherever, wherever I was. So it is not new. We're not scared of that. And I think this is probably the easiest for us uh, change, which is happening now. Um, and it's the one that we're better prepared to manage than anything else. I suppose it reduces, uh, it reduces the auto insurance business pretty substantially over time. Well, auto, auto will be reduced uh, naturally, right? Uh, because, because of all the changes in mobility, because of the need to be sustainable, we will use cars much less. If we think about uh, 30, 40 years ago, the car was the um, a symbolization of freedom. I mean, you wanted the car to be able to um, free up your life, right? It's not anymore, right? Now you can do many other things. Um, and now probably you would use a bike or you would use a train. Uh, but I don't think that, uh, and there is, there is a trend in younger people that uh, they don't even care to have a driving license. Uh, they don't care about owning cars. Well, uh, ro and robots will eventually drive it. Electronic yeah, vehicles. Well. Eventually. So, I guess you're right. Um, let me just ask as a, as a sort of leadership question. I mean, you've been, you're managing a complex organization with, Businesses all over the world, the U.S., of course, is, is your second home, if you will, besides Switzerland. Um, you've got 50,000 people. Every, you know, let's say most of them have been or are working in offices of one. You know, they're at home or, or that yeah. kind of – I mean, no business – I can't – I'm sure um, – you didn't just graduate uh, from business school, uh, even though you are youthful, Mario, and uh, a, a cyclist and all that. And but no, none, no, nobody went to Harvard Business School or INSEAD or whatever and was taught a class on how to manage armies of people working from home. How how have you found this as a sort of leader? I mean, what challenges has it posed for you? Yeah, the the uh, absolutely. I mean, nobody taught us, and I still remember in March, 2020, that I started calling my colleagues saying, how do we get in touch with people? What technology do we have to talk to them? Because we need to find this out, otherwise, you know, this is a drama. And, and, and you know, not slowly, very fast, uh, we uh, found the technology, uh, the technological solution, we found the devices, um, and we were able to contact the people. Um, I think the challenge uh, now, the situation where we've been in uh, 2020 and partially in 2021 is an extreme one, where we've been in lockdowns for months, which means that we haven't seen colleagues, other human beings, uh, customers physically for months. That is extreme. That, I hope, is not going to come back ever. Um, you know, we need to uh, to have a routine where uh, we can meet people, we can have physical meetings, we can go to offices, but not every day, right? With that, we can manage it. Uh, the most difficult thing to do virtually is to energize people. One of my jobs yeah. is to give people energy, confidence, uh, to, to, to give them trust that so we're doing the right things and, that, and this is going to work. How to do that in video is incredibly difficult. 
it takes, it, uh, I mean, I discovered myself that uh, my energy was sucked by the video much more than it would have been uh, in, a personal, in a personal meeting, you interact. And so you pass something to the people and you get something from them, right? And at the end of a meeting, you often end up energized yourself and hopefully you energize the people too. In a video, that's very difficult to, because you know, you're talking to a screen, in the screen you see a limited number of people and I did town halls with thousands of colleagues, but I just, uh, I just saw three, five, 10, 15 of them. I didn't see the others. That's the limitation today of technology. Maybe this would be resolved over time, uh, but I, I, I'm optimistic that this extreme life that we've been living in 2020 and partially in 2021, is not our future and it's not even our present. Well, I guess that Mark Zuckerberg will have us all with our metaverse, uh... VR yeah. <laughs> opticals or something on, but uh, I, I'm with you. It's tough. Um, let me just get, before I go to Lisa, who's going to collect some of the questions that have been coming in from the audience, um, a couple of, a quick lightning round of questions for you, just about in, in business. I mean, where do you see growth? Uh, where, what are the sort of areas for growth for, for insurance? What business lines or geographies do you see um, offering the most potential for Zurich? Um, we expect the commercial insurance uh, still to grow uh, significantly, double digit in 2022, driven by demand for protection, not just prices. Um, we also expect that individuals uh, will re-evaluate lines like accident and health and life. Um, and there will be increasing demand for products in um, in these lines of business. Um, we expect that uh, the saving component will remain, will remain very important and will keep growing double digits through 2022. Um, and as you understand from this, uh, we think that uh, um, we're looking with optimism to 2022 results at the end of the year. And what about consolidation? Where do you, do you see further room for, you, you did a relatively large deal last year, or I don't even know if it's closed, but I mean, where, where do you see, or what kind of scope do you see for consolidation in the business in Europe and in the US? Yeah, we have, we have been doing deals. Uh, however, uh, we're not counting on consolidation. Um, I mean, the reason, the reason for this is that um, the insurance world is, is, in, is in a complete transformation. In a world in transformation, insurance has to transform itself even faster because it's an old industry uh, based on roots which go uh, back to centuries. Uh, now, if you need to transform yourself, um, acquiring another business which needs a transformation is not a great solution. It just adds complexity. So we've been, we've been buying specific properties that we thought would fit well with our needs in specific markets. But in general, we don't think that the solution to this is acquisition, this consolidation. We think that the solution to this is um, providing to the customers what they need in this different world, in this digital society, in this very, very different sustainable world that we're trying hard to create um, in the next years. So is that like insure tech things that you could see? Is that, is that where you're focused? I mean, insure tech being, you know, digital insurance businesses or startups. Um, look, uh, the, way, the way we look at the market is, uh, is divided in two pieces, retail and commercial. 
Um, commercial uh, there is very much driven by competence, by skills, by capital, by size, by experience. And there, um, we are one of the biggest players worldwide and uh, we're proud of it and we'll continue investing. In retail, um, two years ago, we made what I think is a brave move and we created uh, uh, a responsibility for global platforms. We believe that over the next years, uh, retail will not be only a local business as it is today, but uh, there will be an opportunity to buy uh, on global platforms. And we started working, creating global platforms, which also means investing in insurtech ourselves and driving the transformation ourselves. Um, the retail world in insurance has been very traditional and we believe that that world has an end now and that the end is visible and we want to invest into the future. Now, I mean, besides acquiring, you've also disposed of something. I've seen sort of you selling books of, of life insurance uh, uh, policies. Uh, is that a, explain that a bit. Why would you do that? And is that something you want to do? You yeah, these are transactions that uh, we do over time. We sold um, some close books of life uh, um, uh, in US some years ago, three years ago. We sold the Spanish book two years ago. We sold um, an Italian book, um, you know, the last days of December or, or the first day of January. Um, these are things that you do fundamentally to free up capital. Um, you know, with this Italian transaction, we freed up uh, a, some, a chunk of capital, um, which allows us to reinvest this capital in some of these new developments and um, new services that we need to create. This is just efficient solution to uh, mobilize the capital of the company. And do you have, you seem to have quite a bit of capital, or I should say, regulators insist that you have quite a bit of capital. Is that, uh, do you, you know, I listened to Jamie Dimon and some others, you know, in the <laughs> banking industry who are often bristling at the uh, notion that regulators require them to have uh, excess capital. Where do you think, are, do you, are you in the right situation now, or do you, do you, do you think that the regulators should be giving you an opportunity to, to, to give back capital to your shareholders more? Regulators have been extremely prudent uh, with the um, insurance business, and uh, we're all overcapitalized, all insurance companies. Interesting uh, um, enough, I mean, I, I can't remember any insurance company which has defaulted on the insurance business. Um, you know, they always uh, quote an example from the US, but that was not because of the insurance business. Uh, despite that, we have been kept highly capitalized by the regulators, and all the capital models that the regulators have given us have a very short-term focus, which our business doesn't have. Um, and so we're prepared to uh, uh, pass shocks of one year, while our business is typically seven, eight years duration business. And so one year doesn't really matter. Um, and this is where um, you know, the oil industry became highly capitalized and we're all sitting um, more or less on a significant excess capital. Sounds like you wouldn't mind being given the opportunity by your regulators to put a little more of that out to your shareholders. Um, let me um, let me pass Lisa. You've been looking at um, questions that have been coming in from the audience. Um, I'll leave it hand it over to you. Thank you, thank you, Rob, for this. Thank you, Mario. So there's a very lively activity in the chat with lots of questions, many concerning ESG. And, uh, and your strategy in that um, area. Uh, maybe I'll start with one of those. Um, 
uh, we just had an update to the, the EU's green taxonomy. And, you know, people are asking, what's your opinion on the green taxonomy? How will it impact your operations on both the asset and liability side? Great job, first of all. I think I, I want to praise uh, the European Parliament uh, for that. Uh, this is innovative. It's uh, showing leadership and it's very, very useful. The aspiration or the wish is that also the rest of the world does something similar and allows us to have a similar approach, not just in Europe, but everywhere. I think Europe has been widely criticized in many respects. But on green and also on data privacy, I very much respect what Europe has done and I praise the European activities for that. Do you agree? Again, you know, there's been certainly Europe has been at the forefront, but there's been a bit of controversy also uh, with regards of how the taxonomy is being formulated. I mean, do you agree, for instance, with the inclusion of gas and nuclear? Um, I mean, which is being debated, uh, really, as we speak. Yeah, you can always debate, but uh, I fundamentally, yes, I agree and support what the, the European Parliament has done. And uh, for once, they have taken a decision and a stance before everybody else and uh, before, um, you know, it was badly needed. I mean, they've been accused of making decisions at the last hour. On this, they have taken a clear stance, which, again, I, I agree with, I support, and they have done it before everybody else. I think this is remarkable. There's also um, a couple of questions about extreme weather events, uh, which seem to become more, more regular. Is there a concern that there could be potentially insurance black spots you know, in areas which are more and more subject to these extreme events, or how can insurers somehow navigate these this climate issues? We will adjust. I mean, financially, we will adjust. Um, of course, the question is how much will it cost in the future? But the truth is also that we have been working since years with the customers to prevent these events, to mitigate the impact, and to um, repair cheaply uh, the consequences of the events. I don't think, I, I mean, I understand that the events are very spectacular and we all look at them and we're impressed. The thing which to me is much more worrisome is the transformation. How are we going to make our houses, our life continue without fossil fuels? How are we going to make, you know, our foods uh, and beverages uh, habits uh, compatible with a sustainable planet in the next years. We need to change lots of things. And this to me is much more complex. Um, you know, the management of the physical events is possible. We'll do it, we've done in the past. And uh, also, if you think about how much we have been doing on flooding over the past years in different parts of the world to mitigate, prevent, mitigate and repair cheaply, um, I, think, I think the solutions are there, will be there, we will sort that out. The transformation is the biggest uh, challenge we have. Um, is this something that can or will only be done by companies like Zurich individually? I mean, there are people in the chat who are asking whether there could be collaboration and data sharing even among insurers to manage you know, the long-term climate change risks, for instance. Do you envisage that? Okay, I mean, sharing data always has uh, 
some some other issues. I mean, antitrust issues, so privacy issues. But I, 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 again, I don't think that the biggest worry that we should have today are the physical events. We're going to manage that, and we're going to find ways to protect and avoid the worst consequences. The most challenging thing for me today is understand how we're going to run a world with the, which is digital, which requires a lot of power, a lot of electricity in a no fossil fuel industry situation. How are we going to provide that? Which other, which, which support from innovation we will have? Renewables are great, but are not enough. We need more. We need more solutions. Um, we, need to, we need to invent many other things in order to be able to continue with the same living standard we have today. And remember that also we're talking of living standards and here we are all in the developed Western world, but not everybody is like us in the developed Western world. So how will the people who want to um, you know, have an access to the privileges that we have today, how will they get to the same privileges? in a world which is becoming sustainable, which means that something will not exist anymore and something will probably be much more expensive, right? And so there will be issues of, uh, mm. again, equality, of you know, contrast between you know, geographies or populations in the world. And these to me are the biggest challenge that we have ahead of us, including Sorry, if I add one more thing, including one fundamental challenge that exists today, which is about democracy, because we are still struggling these days to find out how does a democracy work in a world which is uh, digitalized. We used to have a different interpretation of democracy with the people uh, representing the voters, right? But now in a world where everybody can immediately contact and talk and, and opine, what is, the, what is the way, what is the functioning of democracy? Um, so to me, these questions are much more complex and much more important than protecting from flooding. We, we will protect ourselves from flooding. We're gonna find solutions for that. That's gonna work. Um, thank you, Mara. Before handing uh, over back uh, to Rob, I mean, there's a couple of questions also on your business strategy as a whole. Um, one viewer, for instance, is asking whether uh, Zurich is planning to expand in India in 2022. And maybe, um, you know, you could also update us on your China strategy along with that. Yeah, um, so um, China is, is an easy answer. Unfortunately, in 2014, Zurich sold uh, the business we had in, in China, uh, um, it's, it's difficult to re-enter once, once you sold the business. Today, what we have in China is a commercial insurance activity, which is profitable, is interesting, is growing. Uh, but uh, what we sold was a retail life uh, uh, stake in uh, a very big Chinese company. And that is difficult for us to replicate now. It's, it, could be, it could be very late. Um, are we entering India? I, I don't know that. I mean, India is opening. Um, and so that creates the opportunity to at least to look at that. Uh, but we have no specific plan. And uh, I would uh, consider 
Um, you know, if the question is about 2022, I would consider it uh, too ambitious to um, um, give an answer in 2022. I think it takes more time than just uh, the uh, 11 months we have before the end of this year. Indeed. But you're also present. I mean, obviously, we, we spoke about uh, the big developing markets there, but you, you're present also in, in markets. I mean, your own um, home base in Switzerland, the UK, the US, which are much more mature and maybe potentially even uh, saturated. So uh, in terms of uh, growth opportunities, people are also asking if you're thinking about new products, you know, or new categories or somehow, um, you know, to, to expand and grow. Yeah. Um, so let me give you, I'll, I'll try to be short, but I'd like to give you an answer uh, made of two pieces. One is that um, we are the third biggest insurance company in South America, and we are the fourth, fifth biggest insurer in Indonesia and by far the biggest Western company in Indonesia. And then we're present in a number of other growth markets, uh, maybe smaller than uh, Brazil and Mexico or Indonesia. However, the second part of my answer is, uh, it's not true for insurance that growth is where the emerging countries are. That's one uh, part of growth, but in the industry transformation, um, you can grow even in the uh, traditional markets, just by doing things that the others don't do. Um, one of the countries that has uh, had the highest growth for us last year has been Germany. We have been growing in Switzerland. We have been growing in UK. We have been growing in Italy. Um, and I just mentioned this as very traditional countries, which is not well known for um, you know, double-digit GDP growth, no matter that being innovative and, you know, uh, kind of riding on the digitalization allowed us to uh, report very high growth in these countries. So growth is not necessarily linked to India, China, and Indonesia. Um, if you are a disruptor, if you are innovative, if you are agile, um, if you serve the customers, uh, if you build high confidence and reputation with the customers, they will reward you and you're going to grow. Thank you, Mario. Uh, back to you, Rob. Well, thank you. Thanks, Lisa. That was, that was great. Thanks to the audience for those questions. I guess just to wrap it all up, um, how, I, how will all of this that we've discussed manifest itself in your next three-year plan, Mario? <laughs> do I have to wait till Investor Day for that? You should. <laughs> you really should. But it's very fascinating. It's interesting. It's what makes me very happy to be able to come every morning to work is to live in these uh, unprecedented times and uh, also have the challenge to make plans and transformation. Definitely one thing that uh, we are considering is longer horizons also. I mean, this is a time where contrary to the short-term approach that we had for many, many years, you also have to, you need to have a vision because the world is changing and the world is continuing and the world will offer very interesting opportunities if you have a vision for that and you need to prepare for that. And this is a great time to be in insurance and it's a great time for a company like ourselves. Um, we are well capitalized. Uh, we are ready, agile and ready to run. And uh, we have a lot of, uh, 
success on our back, which is pushing us to go forward. Well, on that note, I wish you a happy 2022, Mario. And uh, also, I suppose, happy 150 years. Uh, happy birthday to uh, Zurich Insurance. That's uh, quite thank a milestone. You very All right. Well, thank, thank you, you everybody. Uh, and we appreciate you tuning in. That's our show for the week. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your high-quality podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Thank you.